In a world that can be challenging and at times unpredictable, it's hard to find moments to focus on what you need. Join Stephanie James on The Spark as she guides you to use your inner flame to ignite your best life. As a best-selling author, psychotherapist, transformational life coach, and international show host, Stephanie is dedicated to helping you create a life that takes you, your goals, and your passions to the next level so you can live a life that is fully lit up and fully alive. She believes that your life is meant to be a beautiful expression of the things that light you up, that by living your dreams, you give permission to others to do the same. Are you ready to feel alive and inspired to fuel your dreams and put a fire behind your desires? Let's ignite a spark in one another that will illuminate the world. The Spark with your host, Stephanie James, starts now. Welcome to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. So happy to have you here with us. Just absolutely a wonderful year already. 2022 has started out as such a year of inspiration, such a year of moving forward and leaving things behind that needed to be left behind in 2021, things that were no longer serving us. And now we're stepping into this new mode of creation and expansion and so thrilled to have with us tonight, Pauline Nguyen. And so thrilled. She is an entrepreneur, award-winning author, absolutely just um, acclaimed speaker and person who is this phenomenal co-founder of the world's most award-winning Vietnamese restaurant, Red Lantern. And such an honor honor to have you. Pauline is someone Huntington um, Huffington Post describes her as the most grounded spiritual entrepreneur on the planet. Such a joy to have you here, Pauline. Uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for having me. As soon as you started speaking, the lights in front of me flashed and then they just went off again. (laughs) They're back on again. I love it when that happens. Signs and synchronicities everywhere. It's true. It's true. Well, I I had told you right before we start our interview how amazingly I am inspired by you and your story. And and I know that a lot of people probably already do know your story. I I was wondering if you would share it here with us on, on the show because it's so powerful. And I think right now we're needing to hear people that have come out of incredible challenges to to not only survive their circumstances, but to thrive. Absolutely. And uh, it's such an interesting question. What is your story? Which part of the story do you want to hear? But now I know which part you want to hear. It's about the empowerment part. Please excuse my croaky voice. We've had strange weather here in DC. Um, Especially during these uh, times, Stephanie, the fact that um, we can no longer only talk about post-traumatic stress we are definitely needing to learn how to speak and talk about post-traumatic healing um, post-traumatic growth um, more and more uncertainty and more and more um, pain is um, going to happen at an even faster rate change is going to happen but how are we going to take that and heal from it what story are we going to choose and so very quickly um, I am a boat person My father built a boat and um, smuggled the family out of Vietnam just after the Vietnam War, um, armed with a very rudimentary map 
and a compass to guide him. He steered our tiny vessel out into the South China Sea. I was three years old at the time and my brother Lewis was two. We spent nine days out at sea and ended up in Thailand in a refugee camp. The beautiful part about it is that um, I can say beautiful because the stories that came afterwards was rather horrific. We were the first wave of Vietnamese to escape Vietnam. Um, Our fellow country men and women weren't so lucky afterwards because the pirates had caught wind of the bounty that was about to leave the shores. And uh, some of them didn't survive um, and they still haven't overcome the traumas of being pillaged time and time again out at sea. So we spent nine days out at sea, but we didn't, um, we weren't attacked by any pirates. And we spent a, a difficult year in a refugee camp when we landed in Thailand. We were only meant to spend a few months, but we spent a year there. And it was where my brother Luke was born. Um, he was born in a lean-to tent. And in 1978, Australia finally accepted us. So my father came into this new country um, with a whole lot of trauma. His parents, his father was violent, and so was his father's father. He came to this new country with nothing, with two young children, a newborn, and his wife suffered from tuberculosis as well. So a whole lot of pressure, a whole lot of trauma. And so he had nowhere to dump his anger but on us kids and on my mother. So growing up for me was a very violent experience. Uh, I ran away from home when I was 16, 17. And so leading that time leading up to um, surviving on my own. Um, I, I actually ran away and hid from my father for many years. But I can look back now and I have a choice. I have a choice to see it as I suffered all these things. I am now a victim or I have a choice, which is a choice that I took to look back and see it as my training. It was my training. And how, were, how do we know things were meant to happen that way because they happened. Yes. And so very much these very interesting times, it is all about post-traumatic healing, post-traumatic growth. And what can we take from those experiences? Because pain is inevitable. Suffering is the choice, right? Beautiful. Yes, absolutely. And, and so I'm curious what happened then because what, what I've understood from listening to some of your interviews, you did reconcile with your father. Absolutely. I reconciled with my father. Not until, not, uh, I think it was six or seven years. Um, my mother and my brother begged, my mother and my brothers begged me to go back home and, and see my parents. And uh, I have to say that um, it was when I wrote my first book, Secrets of the Red Lantern, that we truly reconciled. Um, There's 10 chapters all up in the book. And it's not meant to be a scathing account about my father. It's actually a very beautiful story about personal freedom and um, hope, self-love, self-forgiveness. And it was my intention to finish the book and then give it to my father in its entirety so that he could see the full arc of the story, so that he could see what a beautiful story it really is. 
But by the end of the seventh chapter, my father demanded to see the story, to read the, to read the book. And um, it wasn't a good time. The seventh chapter is a most scathing account about my father. <laughs> um, but I had no choice but to hand over the unfinished manuscript. And it was then that he had read our version of events. And the book was released in 2007. Um, it became an international bestseller. And it was from that experience that he said there is a right time and a right place for everything. And had he read the book 10 years ago, 10 years before that, he would have exploded. But there's a right time and a right place for everything. And he didn't ask for forgiveness. He didn't give me an apology. But what he gave me was acknowledgement, acknowledgement that the harm that, of the harm that he had, had um, inflicted. And Stephanie, I don't believe in forgiving someone unless they have righted their wrongs, because that's what life is about, right? About atonement and righting your wrongs. And so for myself, I can forgive the event, forgive that it happened, forgive how I showed up and, and, and how I reacted and responded to particular situations, forgave the things that I did. I created an enormous sense of um, shame on my family, um, shame to my parents. I can forgive that, but I couldn't forgive my father for what he had done to all of us growing up. But I can absolutely forgive him now because he, had, he has absolutely righted his wrongs. And um, we, we live a, a very different life now where we are all friends. Mm. And that was because of my decision. My, my decision later on um, afterwards when I wanted to have children, I decided that the, the, the cycle of trauma ends with me because unresolved trauma gets passed down the generations, right? And when I decided to have children, it was absolutely the trauma ends with me. And so I did all the work um, and I still continue to do the work. The work is never ending, isn't it, in, in the self-evolution part and as, as it is for, for my family and as it is for my father. So beautiful. I, I, I think that that's so hopeful because oftentimes we feel like exactly what you're saying. We have to forgive and it's, it's something that can be forced that we feel like, oh my gosh, but there was a right timing, it sounds like, to the forgiveness as well. Yes, and it all, all starts with a decision. It all starts with a decision. I, I can tell my story because I have forgiven the event. I can tell my story without the tears and without the emotion. And um, it's still locked in my body because it's my truth. But there are, there's, there's, we can never underestimate the power of a decision. And some of us fight to hold on to our problems. Mm. Um, this is what I often hear because those stories of the past give us certainty and give us significance. And to understand that I've made the decision that my past will not define me. And so some hold on to those stories and they can't understand how I could have overcome so much. They can't understand it because for them, who am I without this suffering? Who am I if not for this illness? Who am I if not for this disease or disease? Who am I if not for this divorce? And so it does them well to hold on to those stories and tell, continue to tell themselves the stories about themselves and believe. And so what, unless they've made the decision, it is impossible for them to see how it is possible to forgive in that way. 
And that's what I love about your journey and that you made that decision. And as a psychotherapist, I, I absolutely resonate with that because I see that in my office you know, yeah. frequently where someone's identified so strongly with yes. their traumatic narrative that that becomes the defining element of who they see themselves to be in the world. It becomes their identity and it becomes their personality. And, and then everyone knows them as that person, you know, and uh, I, I, I like to make it a little bit lighter and a little bit more badass and say, isn't it time to be less cliche? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and they don't like that. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you know, and, and I really do feel like, you know, and from just, I already felt like I knew you. Um, even before we got on the interview, just watching some of your other interviews and you on some other shows, because you have this effervescence and then this, I mean, you are a badass and you have this joy that comes through you that is just beautiful. So obviously you, you no longer define yourself by that. Talk about your journey then into the restaurant, into the Red Lantern. Um, well, the restaurant is uh, 20 years old. We're still around in what is a very challenging, fickle and competitive industry. I think it's because we have more grit than anyone else we know, Steph. <laughs> and uh, um, two, two COVID lockdowns and we're still around. We've used the lockdown time to reinvent ourselves again. Um, I believe that we are here on this earth to do three things. The first is to evolve. We can't evolve if we're still holding on to the stories of the past. There's no evolution there. It's simply uh, we are on repeat. The GP, there's something wrong with the GPS, right? Um, we're here to evolve. Second of all, we're here to push humanity forward. Um, what you do is pushing humanity forward. Um, what I do is to push humanity forward. And the third is to do it with joy, to, to evolve, to push humanity forward and to do it with joy. And so the, revol the um, revolution and the evolution of Red Lantern is um, all of that. Um, 20 years, we have to continue to reinvent ourselves time and time again on a personal level as well as a professional level. So Red Lantern was open 20 years ago. Um, I grew up in restaurants. I started working when I was seven. Um, my, my father made us work in, I guess, what would be called the family empire. He had um, a video library, an ice cream parlor, um, a cafe, um, as well as a restaurant and a driving school on the side, and us kids provided the child labor. So uh, we had a very um, ferocious work ethic, literally beaten into us at a very young age. Uh, I owe a lot of that time. Again, we can reframe and we can retell whatever story we like. And um, my story is that uh, I learned so much about mastery at that time. My parents were forever tweaking recipes, forever, uh, you know, they'd make uh, the traditional beef noodle soup and it was so delicious, but it could be better. The cappuccino froth could be better. The fresh fruit ice cream could be better. So it was constantly tweaking and tweaking and, and constantly reinventing. And so the restaurant um, and hospitality and work was so much in our blood. Um, my background is actually in uh, um, journalism, writing, uh, television making, filmmaking. That's what I did at university. But my brother, Luke Wynn, who's 
a very famous personality. Uh, he's a very well-known chef around the world. He wanted to open a restaurant. And at the time, there was no high-end Vietnamese restaurants. And so when I came back from living in Europe, he said, I'm going to do it. So I'm going to open um, my own restaurant. And then at the time, I said, well, let, let me help you. Um, let me help you with the um, managerial business side of things. And um, very quickly, I was bitten by the entrepreneurial bug. And that's when my entrepreneurial journey started. Uh, Luke now has taken a, a huge, hugely different trajectory. He's a famous chef around the world, travels, cooking shows. Um, the father of my children, Mark, the, um, a partner in a restaurant, um, he has a, a, a strong ethic in sustainability and the ethics of what we eat, which is very much what Red Lantern is all about. And um, I've taken the entrepreneurial route, but it all adds to the ecosystem, the ecosystem of Red Lantern. Um, I'm an international speaker. I speak about the Red Lantern on stage um, uh, very much. Uh, there's so many different aspects, um, leadership, grit, customer service, um, overcoming trauma. There's so many avenues to the um, juiciness of the Red Lantern story, the Pauline story, the Mark story, the, the Luke story. So I mean, it, it's like, it's such a beautiful blend of life. It's, it's like you encompass all of that in this microcosm that is the Red Lantern. Yes, it's, it's a movement to uplift the human spirit through the alchemy of flavor, hospitality, and heart. <laughs> Beautiful. And so one of, the, one of the things that I learned about you, I love this, is that at one point you were managing the Red Lantern. And at one point you were so stressed out that you started losing your hair. That was when we first started. We, we, we knew how to work hard, Stephanie. It was literally beaten into us. We, we didn't know how to work hard and work smart, you know, and also um, we were control freaks. What do I mean by that? All the family recipes were fam secret family recipes. And so what does that mean? That means that Luke and Mark and my parents are stuck in the kitchen, not being able to share any of the recipes with anyone else. And also, um, uh, you know, I, I'm sure it's, a, it's a story that many entrepreneurs and business people have no one can do it better than I can. And that may be true. There is some truth in that. But that also means that we're chained to the business. Uh, now we have a plethora of cookbooks where the recipes are shared for all people to, to, to execute and, and cook at home. Um, but it also means that we don't have to be there. We, don't, we, we employ people who are technically smarter than us and we get to push forward humanity in other areas as well. Again, leading back to the ecosystem. But in the early years, we were working 80, 90, 100 hour weeks, um, week up on week. We were tired, we were tired of being tired and I developed alopecia. Uh, where the hair falls out due to stress. And it was at that time we thought we need to do, we need to start doing things very, very differently because this is not sustainable. And um, that was really the start of our being true entrepreneurs versus um, business owners. Um, understanding that we had, we had to keep on uh, creating and evolving ourselves so that the media, the public, and the customers and the clients always had something to be interested in and talk about. And so we really started thinking big picture rather than um, being caught in the business, which was killing us very slowly. 
Well, and so that shifted things incredibly for you. Like, as you said, you hired the people to do the job. Yes. Yes. And that freed you up to be true entrepreneurs. And when we come back from break, I can't wait to talk with you more about some of the formulas around that. One of the things, one of the notes that I had taken is that when you have your own business, that you're either an, or not even, I don't know if you said your own business, but you said you either are an artist, an entrepreneur, or the manager. Yes. Welcome back to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. I'm here with the beautiful Pauline New, I always want to say this, right? I got to say it. New win. It's win, win, as in win or lose. But just win. <laughs> yes. No N. Okay. So I'm going to restart that. I'm going to have my, my, <laughs> my producer edit that out because I want to do it right. Okay. Three, two, one. Welcome back to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. I'm here with the beautiful Paula. See, now I'm going to not say it right at all. Yeah, win. Pauline win. Pauline Wynn. See, now I'm getting all discombobulated. That's okay. (laughs) Take three and go. Welcome back to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James, and I'm here with Pauline Wynn. We're just having an incredible conversation. She's been sharing about the amazing past that she's been through, the incredible fortitude she had to move forward in her life, the wonderful success of the Red Lantern Restaurant, and this beautiful non-victim mentality where you leave the past behind and you let that be, even though I love the part where you said it's still a part of who you are, it's no longer an open chapter or a definition of who you are. Well, it it happened. The event happened. Um, The events happened. I did have a shitty childhood, but it doesn't define me. Some people let it define them. Um, it, it happened. And um, it is my choice that uh, I choose a very different meaning. We are meaning-making machines. I gave a, a, a keynote a little while ago. It was actually a long while ago, sorry, many, many years ago. And I was able to tell a part of my story on stage with, it was the truth, but I didn't, you know, it wasn't like the very early years when I was crying everywhere. I, I had done the work. I'd overcome that, um, the, the trauma. Um, and I was able to tell my story without um, the stress and despair and the emotion of the past. And when I got off stage, a, an older gentleman said, how can you tell that story without crying? And I said, because I just did and because I can. And he had shared with me a part of his own childhood. He was uh, sexually abused by two uh, adults when he was a boy. And it was like he was holding onto this precious thing that was, that happened so long ago. And he, he wasn't berating me for not being as emotional as he was, but he might as well have been. He might as well have been. And uh, because there was such importance of it. And and he said, how do you do it? And I said, well, we're in a crowded room at the moment. Um, 
there are processes and there's uh, uh, an intimate relationship that is to be shared. You know, as a psychotherapist, you know, Stephanie, that is to be shared. I can't tell you here and there's processes. But what I can say to you with the from the bottom of my heart is that through the choices that I've made, I no longer suffer, but it's clear that you still do. Mm-hmm. And um, it it hit him that the story that he was holding on to gave him such significance and certainty, and he was absolutely still suffering from it. And I said, that was my choice. The pain was inevitable. The event happened, but the choice is whether I still want to suffer from it or not. And once we make that decision, it starts with a decision. And then it's giving permission, giving permission for someone like yourself or, or for someone like myself to assist you in the healing. Um, and then it takes persistence and action to continue to do the work, right? There's certain steps that you can do, but it all starts with the decision. Well, and that's so powerful. I know during one of my meditations, the download that came through was exactly that, that we have choice, we have choice, we have choice. And so we don't have to be stuck. We don't have to be prisoner to our pasts. Yes. And how beautiful. I love that so that we can move forward. And as you said in the earlier segment, also, it's something, you know, life is going to continue to give us challenges. Yeah. And we, we can face those challenges without choosing to suffer. We don't have to suffer through them. Yes. And it's very empowering, right? How empowering is that to know that we have that choice when they, when you can't see that we have that choice, that is when we um, lose our power. That's, that's the um, spirituality is about what, what do I need to do to feel the way I want to feel? How do I master myself that little bit more so that I can remain in spirit and inspired? Come what may Actually, exactly when you said that, that was one of my questions to you. So how, how do you understand that when you use that term to become in spirit and inspired? What yes. does that mean to you? Again, it starts, everything starts with a decision. And so before I take on coaching clients or before I um, take on a class, I, I speak with the students too. And I hear, I, I listen out whether or not they have the victim dialogue. Um, because sometimes they just want to come on board so that we can validate their victimhood. And um, that is where I would send them to someone like you. <laughs> Say, uh, I, I, am, I am not for you. I'm, I'm the, the next stage. Um, and so the decision, for example, if I were to have experienced a, and I'm making this up, um, an argument with a business partner and I lost a whole lot of money. I, was, I will feel betrayed. I don't know where the next um, uh, lot of income is going to come in. And so the decision would be, okay, what am I going to do with, I'm not going to deny that it happened. I'm going to sit in this experience choosing again what meaning I can make from it, letting myself sit in the emotion for a certain amount of time. Some of my clients need to sit in it for less time. I need to sit in it for more time. 
<laughs> because I can get myself out of the emotion very quickly. Sit in the emotion to understand what needs to be done. What do I need to do now? What were the lessons? And so rather than having the emotion fuel our behaviors, which is what most people will do, the spiritual entrepreneur allows their behaviors to fuel their emotions. And so the question is, yes, I am in the shit. I'm in the shit. But what do I need to do to feel the way I want to feel? Do you know why? Because if I sit here in guilt, shame, fear, regret, things are going to be harder for me. Things are going to be much harder for me. So spirituality really also is about physics that has yet to be explained. So if we can understand the physics of having our behaviors fuel our emotions so that this instrument of consciousness can vibrate at a higher frequency so that we can start getting out of the frequency of um, fear, shame, which, by the way, has the same frequency as death. You're not going to start attracting the things that are going to be easier for you to help you get out of this situation. And so it really becomes a matter of consciousness. What will come, what will enter your life and into your orbit is a reflection, is a match to the level of consciousness that you're at. And so what do I need to do to feel the way I want to feel? I need to vibrate higher now. What do I need to feel to experience the um, emotions of joy, emotions of gratitude? Because I know then that I will be starting to recreate my electromagnetic signature so that I can start attracting more of the goodness, more of the good stuff, more of the people into my vortex, into my orbit that is going to help me to get to where I want to go faster. So we, 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 we put a very different um, lens on what it means to manifest. It becomes um, a very biological, um, alchemical, um, physical experience. And so when I'm in the shit with anything, the first thing I will ask is, what do I need to do to feel the way I want to feel? But I need to sit in this emotion for a little bit to understand the lessons. And then Goya, get off your ass to do what needs to be done. I need to raise my vibration. I need to change my state. Okay, I, I need to watch the sun rise every day, the most potent healing frequency of the day. I need to jump into the ocean to get rid of the um, harmful EMFs because I'm now becoming heavier. My, and, and the heavier we are, the, the heavier our um, problems seem, right? I need to ground myself, walk barefoot on the grass, walk barefoot on the sand. I, perhaps I need to eat new um, uh, different foods to raise my vibration and then maybe I need to hang around new people that will give me different voices and this is what I mean by getting into a state of being in spirit and inspired why because the higher we vibrate the closer we are to the sun to the solutions to the solar and it's all a matter of um what do I need to do with this physical body to get it to a state where it is of a match to the stuff that I want? What is the first law of the law of attraction? Become attractive. No one's going to be attractive when you're that low. And it's a personal responsibility always comes online. What do I need to do to feel the way I want to feel so that I can attract the opportunities, so that I can attract the people in my orbit? Do I need to change the way I speak, the thoughts that I think? What do I need to do? And then when this happens, 
synchronicities, gifts and blessings will come our way. And that's the magic of life, right? When we can do these things and uh, that's how we, um, are they attracting or they are, or are they repelling? It all starts with this instrument of consciousness, which starts with a decision. I, I'm so blown away. I'm almost speechless. I, I love hearing this. It just expands my heart and I'm just radiating with, with your message. And I, I just think, my God, that is empowerment right there. It's, em- it. it's empowerment. That is and, not outside and taking, of us. Yeah, but the, the, the thing is that, um, that that's when we have given our power away. When we can understand the true meaning of power versus force, that's the power, the power that we have to um, regulate, to self-regulate. That's part of self-awareness and self-mastery is, is the regulation part. And when we can understand this is what it means to be spiritual, to live your life in spirit and inspired, what do I need to do to feel the way I want to feel? Because I need to start magnetizing. I need to start attracting. And this is a very different spin to um, the amateur's world, the amateur's view of what manifestation is. It's not sitting in lotus position, you know, and praying. It's it's who you become, who you become. And so um, as much as I don't like to say have the past define you, but those events can define you. Failure can define you. Success can define you. But we're always reinventing. We're always redesigning ourselves because we need to evolve. We need to evolve. And the more we can work on this instrument of consciousness here, um, what's the whole point of it? So that struggle becomes ease. Well, and that reminds me of a question. When you talk about difficulties or challenges, you have a very different mindset or heart set, I would say, about how you deal with them. What, yes. what would you say that is for you? Because it's very, very different. Everything is, and this is, this I know sounds so cliche. I told my daughter this the other day and she rolled her eyes. I have a 16-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old son. And um, she rolled her eyes and she said, uh, um, you know, how, how do we know it was meant to happen? Because it happened. And she said, Mom, stop with all the spiritual shit, Mom. How do I stop it from happening? And it's the, um, the, the callus that we build, right? The callus, people think, um, you know, I will be confident when this happens or uh, when I learn this. It's a callus. Everything that happens to us was meant to happen. It's up to us then to choose um, the meaning behind it. Um, it's, up to cho- it's up to us to choose the lessons behind it. And if the choices we make aren't serving us, choose again, choose again. And so um, it's, it's, it's a choice. We can either play victim or we can play um, victor. Um, and how can we change this to be the masters of our destiny? And people, some people say, you know, well, there's so much going on at the moment. We, we have no, there's going to be a whole lot more uncertainty there's going to be a whole lot more change at a faster rate. But the empowering thing is, and and this doesn't land too well with too many people either. How can you be an interesting person with interesting stories to tell when you don't do interesting things? And so we use each obstacle as another part of our story 
um, I, I tried to explain this to someone the other day and they said, is that not a bit egotistic, Pauline? And I said, it may be, but what else, what, what is the alternative? What is the alternative? The alternative is to say, woe is me. Life is hard. Life is neither hard nor not hard. Um, people talk about uh, lockdown and people talk about um, uh, COVID this and COVID. Well, yeah, freedom is an inside job, right? Lockdown is an inside job. <laughs> it, it starts with a decision. We can play victim or, or we can um, be the victor of it, but it starts with a decision. Every time that I hear you say that and every time that it's redefining that we have a choice, it, yeah. it is so empowering, you know, and I can't drive that home enough to our listeners that they have a choice. They don't have to sit in the suffering. They don't have to sit in the pain and wallow in the past. They, the point I think, of power I think they is in the present I, moment. I think they should for a certain amount of time. Otherwise, we deny that it happened. We're going, la, 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 la. that's not what we do for, for a certain amount of time to learn the lessons and, and then decide to do what needs to be done. Yeah. Um, yes. And yeah. I totally agree. I mean, absolutely. And I, and I, yes, I hope that that's also clear because that is one of the things um, I love the poem by Rumi called the guest house. And my poor listeners have probably heard me quote it so many times, but that's, that's exactly, it talks about, you know, whoever shows up at your door you know, this life is a guest house. So welcome them in, whether it's a depression, a meanness or a sadness comes, welcome them at the door laughing, you know, and I'm paraphrasing this horribly, but it says, you know, just greet them all and welcome them all because you never know, you know, that each one has been sent as a guest yeah. from beyond. Yeah. And, um, the obstacle is the way, right? The obstacle is the way rather than saying, geez, why me? Say, why not me? Why not me? Because we know that um, um, the universe never hands to us something that we're not prepared for. It will always hand to you that which it knows you can handle. That's the way the universe works. You're never given the dark night of the soul unless you have it within you to overcome the dark night of the soul. Know this. Know this. And so it's not so much we say, bring it on, because the universe will bring it on. But it is about understanding, okay, this has been gifted to me. The obstacle is the way. From here to the other side of that obstacle, whether I dig under it, run around it, jump over it, smash through it, from here to the other side of the obstacle, if we're talking business or life, man, I've got to listen to new voices. I've got to learn new concepts. I have to create new systems. I have to change possibly um, my friends, the way I think about things, the way I do things. From here to the other side of the obstacle, that's going to be my pot of gold. So I have a choice to, to get busy. Goya, get off your ass and do stuff and 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 work on this instrument of consciousness to vibrate higher, to attract more people into my orbit, to help me to get to where I want to go faster. Because when we know where we are going and we know why we are going there, you know who to take with you. 
you know, who you need to become to get to where you need to go. And that's when life becomes exhilarating. And then we, we realize that we're, we're, we're not alone, right? And I'm here to the other side of the obstacle. That's going to be my pot of gold. That's where the gold is. Thank you, Pauline. This is so amazing. And we're going to come back with more from Pauline after this break. So join us here on The Spark. Continue listening and go to transformationtalkradio.com and subscribe so you don't miss an episode of The Spark. Welcome back to The Spark. I'm Stephanie James here with entrepreneur and international speaker and acclaimed author, Pauline Wynn. So wonderful to have you here with us, Pauline. Thank you, Stephanie. It is my joy. Thank you. This has been such a joy for me. You know, one of the things that that we had touched base on on an earlier segment was people so often, they, they really do take on so much, especially when they're entrepreneurs, they think they have to do it all. So they, they do all the roles. And like you at the beginning, you know, they're working 80 hours a week or 90 or a hundred hours a week. And we, we don't have to work like that. And, and one of the, one of your quotes that I loved that I heard in one of your interviews too, was this thing about, there's no such thing as work-life balance that work-life balance, it's not two separate things. Yes. That, that it's life. Yes. Uh, I, um, I upset a number, I, I upset people a lot. <laughs> um, and I upset a number of people when I say work-life balance is bullshit. Work-life balance is bullshit. And it was a, a, a term that was coined in the 80s, right? And so it's not so much um, that I um, object for objection's sake. But when things don't make sense for me, to me, I, I start to look into it and, and I don't like to um, repeat too much what mainstream says, especially when it doesn't make sense. And so when someone says work-life balance, I, I picture myself and there's so many images on the internet if you Google work-life balance. And it is that, you know, they're, they're walking a tightrope with work on one side and, and, and life on the other. And what it does presume or uh, is that the work side is crap and the life side is what we need to um, uh, congr- celebrate. That's what, when we say work-life balance, you need to get some more life, life you know, instead of doing some, no one says you need to do more work and not too much life. <laughs> um, it's a very different lens for an entrepreneur. Um, Many of us have multiple businesses. Our balls are on the line. When I am on vacation, uh, I have to log on and look at the businesses, look at the bank accounts, check the um, payroll, um, respond immediately to my um, close inner circles. I have businesses to run. But then, of course, after that time's over, I play harder than most people also. But there's no such thing as this digital detox for me. And certainly I'm not going to be doing so because it's my responsibility, it's my duty. I'm not going to fulfill my duty with any sense of guilt. And so for me, it's not about work-life balance and separation. It's about work-life harmony and integration. 
because ultimately it's about life. That's why I uh, wrote that piece and, and I often speak about it in my keynotes that work-life balance is, is bullshit. Can it, can it just be? Can it just be? If I need to dedicate uh, this amount of time because so many people are relying on me, um, I'm going to do that. But how can we integrate that into our life? And that's very much what um, the spiritual entrepreneur does because it's uh, working on this this instrument of consciousness first. I'm not going to uh, be um, on vacation and still worried about all these things. What do I need to do to feel the way I want to feel? Let me sort this out first and then I can play. Perfect. Yes, I, I love that. And the other thing that, that you spoke about that went with that so beautifully is when you're doing things that you love, yeah. then it integrates even more beautifully. Because you're not dreading going to work. You're not dreading that it's woven into the fabric, that it's all, you know, these threads that interweave in the fabric of your life. Yes. It's, I would add to that. It's not, it's not only do what you love because uh, many people don't have the luxury of doing what we do, doing the work we love. Perhaps they're working for someone else. Perhaps they're, um, they're, they're not in a situation to create businesses. Perhaps they're working for other people, corporations, et cetera, et cetera. I believe personal responsibility must come first. If you hate what you do, change jobs. If you hate your boss, either tell him or her or do something about it rather than because people just love to complain, don't they? But we can't continue to complain about the choices that we have made because that story just gets old (laughs) it just gets old so it's not only do what you love but learn to love what you do learn to love what you do because if you're not in a situation to really go out and do what you love because it takes a particular ilk of person to be an entrepreneur it takes a whole lot of facets and um uh different cogs in the wheel to uh, create a business and have partnerships and all of that. Maybe you just want to be an employee that maybe that is your calling because you don't need the stress of everything else. That's perfectly fine too. But then you've got to not only do what you love, but love what you do. Otherwise leave, find another life, start another business, work for someone else find new friends. And so once you've made that decision, not only do what you love, but learn to love what you do if you're not going to leave it. Yes. Love that. Love that. Well, and let's move into that other piece that we had talked about earlier in the show, which is this defining yourself instead of being all three, being the artist, the manager and the entrepreneur, how, how do we go into just one of those areas? Yes, this was a concept that was taught to me by um, one of my teachers early on in my entrepreneurial life. And so, um, you know, I started working when I was seven and we had a very um, old school work ethic that was handed down to us by our parents that uh, working hard, meaning as many hours as possible, running the red line, Um, if you didn't work to the point where you were about to drop at night, then you weren't really an entrepreneur. You weren't really good at business. You know, if you weren't the first to arrive and the last to leave, you're not really a legitimate entrepreneur. And so 
that was the mindset that was given to us when we started uh, our, our businesses. That didn't work too well for us. We were tired. We looked terrible. We were miserable. We knew there had to be a better way. And that was one of the things my um, early teachers taught me, that in every business, should you want to grow, should you want to grow, not only as individuals, but as a collective, should you want to grow, find out of the leaders in the business or, or the owners, who is the artist, who is the manager, and who is the entrepreneur. And I believe that every business starts off as the owner being, the creator being the artist whether it be seamstress or journalist or writer or um, psychotherapist or, or speaker, we, that's our art. That's our art. And we open a business and soon we also do the accounting. Um, we, we have to manage the staff. We have to do the marketing. We have to go out and, and, and um, uh, talk about our brand. And pretty soon we experience burnout and there's not much ROI. We forget the reasons why we went into the business to have fun, to have a life, to live a legacy. <laughs> and soon it's just this thing that you have to keep open. And so one of my early teachers taught me to decipher who is the artist, the manager and the entrepreneur. And between Luke, Mark and I, Luke and Mark, they're very much the artists. I think we can all manage with our eyes closed because we just have that DNA, but we don't enjoy it. We don't enjoy it. It's not our forte. Mark is the chef. Luke is the chef. They're very creative. That's their art. We employ managers who can do a much better job than us. Um, I can manage as well, but it's not the best use of my time. And I'm definitely the entrepreneur, the one who goes out, um, creates connections, has business ideas all the time, um, and everything we build leads into the ecosystem of the Red Lantern. And so what we've done is expanded, 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 not expanded to have more restaurants, but expanded our contribution to the world, expanded um, our, the, the stories we can tell people to make us more interesting and to keep the media, the public and the customers um, continue to be interested in us. And that was what we were, we were able to do. And so growth for us is not how many restaurants can we have? That's not what our growth is. Growth for us is personal growth, growth in connections, the growth with our staff, um, the, the global growth of um, our contribution to the world. So we have a very different spin on the growth. And that was only available to us when we were able to say, who is the artist? Who is the manager? Who is the entrepreneur here? And can we start to work on the business rather than being stuck in it? But at the end of the day, I remember that night very vividly. It was about two o'clock in the morning and we were, we, were, we were finishing off the night with our after work beer and we said, we can't do this. Look at us. We are miserable. We have to, uh, and I kept on having flashbacks of um, how my parents did it when we were growing up. It's like, man, this is history repeating itself. This is history repeating itself. Surely we would have learned the lessons by now. Well, and so in all these years that you've done it differently, how, how has that, by you not being the manager, how has that energy then ignited things within you? I mean, I'm hearing you say that then you are creative and you have all this other energy to do things. What, what else have you done and what's next? Well, I was able to take uh, 
uh, a couple of years off to write my first book, Secrets of the Red Lantern. Um, it's changed so many people's lives. Um, that was a very special book, a very dark and personal memoir, which I disguised as a cookbook so people would buy it. <laughs> um, that that opened so many doors for me and really forced me to walk down a long hall of mirrors to say, now you've written this story. Some would say I have exposed my family. Some would say that I have used that story to reconcile us, which is what actually happened. And uh, because of that book, I was able to travel the world and meet new people, um, book tours, writing tours. And I remember telling my story and I hadn't healed from the trauma and being unable to tell my story without getting caught in the throat, getting stuck in, and trembling because it, literally it's trauma, a stressful event that has yet to be resolved. And so I was, okay, Pauline, you need to do some work here because not only does the audience not deserve to see this, you don't deserve this either to be having to do this all the time. And that's when I really started doing the work, um, the, the work on healing. What is healing? Healing is when we are no longer that. I was sad. I'm no longer sad. I'm angry. I'm no longer angry. I told that story with so much uh, pain. I can tell the story with no more pain. That's when I know I've truly healed. And so from that, I became um, a coach, a mentor, um, a facilitator and honing my craft because I no longer wanted to tell the story with this sense of loss of control. Um, and then, and now I'm an international speaker. Fast forward, I belong to Ode, um, who represent the top 50 non-celebrity speakers in the world. I've been speaking a lot, which is why my throat's, my throat's quirky. Um, and uh, life has really taken um, such a beautiful trajectory because I made a decision beautiful. to do things very differently. Yes. Yes. Well, and so as we're getting closer to the end, Pauline, you've given us so much wisdom. There is so many beautiful things you've shared here with us. Is, is there an essential message that you want to leave with the audience? Absolutely. Um, my, my latest book, The Way of the Spiritual Entrepreneur, The Seven Secrets to Becoming Fearless, Stress-Free and Unshakable in Business and in Life, is, is that we have the power. We have the power to, but personal responsibility comes first. And so it's not about the pursuit of happiness, but about finding happiness in the pursuit, finding happiness in the pursuit. We all have choices. And so in my coaching, in my life, I've, through direct experience, I've learned that the pursuit of happiness is not such a powerful trait. I upset a lot of people when I say this. But can we learn the tools to remain in spirit and inspired? That's when we can truly become fearless. Not fear-free, fearless. When we can understand the um, mechanics of how stress works, good stress, bad stress, we can be stressless stress-free even when we can really understand how to um, 
sense of self-mastery, self-regulation, self-awareness. And then also to be unshakable. Come what may, show up with dignity, grace, and poise because it is a cultivation of a practice. And this is when the somatic work comes in. Can you be unshakable because you have a breath strategy coming into a meeting and you understand the psychology and the mechanics behind why we do the things we do, how you show up. And so that's why I believe being fearless, stress-free and unshakable. Now, those are much more powerful traits in business and in life rather than the pursuit of happiness. We find happiness in the pursuit instead. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Pauline, for this wonderful interview and to be able to spend this time with you. What a gift. How can people get in touch with you if they want to go to one of your events or sign up for mentoring or coaching or groups? How do they find you? Um, On my website, I have um, a a course coming up called the Spiritual Entrepreneur Accelerator. It starts next week. Um, Website, you can also grab a copy of my book. Um, I have amazing meditations, shamanic activations, NLP, um, some beautiful music design in my meditations as well. Um, And if you would like to uh, follow me on social media, uh, on LinkedIn, and and the the your um your website is paulinewin.com.au and when is spelled n y n g u y e n n g u y e n u y e n okay wonderful thank you so much looking forward to a beautiful new year and just wishing you the most wonderful year ahead And for you, Stephanie, I wish you love. I wish you love. Thank you.